Guys, if you have a Bible, I'd love you to turn to uh, a book called 1 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you or you don't want to look at it, don't worry. It's going to come up on the screen. You'll be able to read it uh, up there. And we, um, you know, we've been on this series called, what we've called Life Support. Like, what, is it, what does it mean for our life to have support? And looking at some of the radical ways that we do life through... You know, we talk about following Jesus, but actually to follow Jesus is, is a radical statement and a radical step through passionate and wholehearted discipleship, through engagement with the world. Like, we don't just do this on a, on a, on a Sunday, but this is a Monday pursuit as well. And, you know, my, my son came up to me this week, and he said, I love, I love Jesus. I love talking to you about Jesus. But I've got to be honest. You, you, you're not very like Jesus, are you? <laughs> and he's right. And before any of you get offended, you guys aren't either. <laughs> and this is the thing. As we sum up this today, I just want to reflect on some of the pressures we face amidst our culture. And so this vision is of engagement in the world, discipleship with Monday in mind, to follow Jesus can feel so lofty, but so out of reach. And I think this lands to, on this idea that transformation is possible, but not inevitable. Becoming like Jesus is possible, but not inevitable. And we're going to look uh, finally today in this series about what, is, what does transformation look like? So 1 Timothy chapter 4 says this from verse 1. The Spirit clearly says in the latter time some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons... Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you've followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That's why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct, in love and faith and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through the prophecy when the body of elders laid their hand on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. 
Lord God, we just bring ourselves before you. We submit ourselves to you. We just take a moment to to recognize who you are. And when we recognize the things going on in the world, we think this morning about Turkey and Syria. And Lord, we just cry out to you for them. For the pain and hurt we see around us. And we bring ourselves before you and ask, Lord, would you come and do what only you can do? Amen. So if you're looking for one takeaway, if, you're, if you've had the kind of week where you're likely to fall asleep while I'm speaking, just take away this. Transformation is possible but not inevitable. I presume that when I became a Christian, I would automatically become a really like, good and nice person, full of grace, full of the good things of Jesus. And I didn't. And it was really frustrating. I presumed by now, kind of a few years in, I should pretty much be at the saintly level. And those of you who know me will have noticed that that hasn't happened. You know, it talks in here about abandoning the faith. This is not really about um, people renouncing Jesus. A much more accurate way of reading the text is that those who drift from the kind of substance of their faith, those who kind of um, forgetting what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. Like, you know, we've become a Christian but never understood what it is to be a follower. You see, being a disciple of Jesus is not, it's not an event. It's a process. And so often our kind of Christian culture seems to make it out that if you, if you do this course or if you attend this thing, then you are a disciple. But a disciple is this kind of ongoing continuing thing and as much we must pay so much deep attention to kind of what is going around us what's happening in this ongoing sense about who we're becoming and what we do that we're being shaped whether we like it or not for those of you who live in Nairobi you'll know this we live in the midst of a culture making machine we live in the midst of a culture making machine all of us do, regardless of where we are. But these different places have their different sways, their different emphasis, the different things that they're doing, and they shape us profoundly. Nairobi is a great culture-making machine, and it will, if we allow it, form us into its image. Some of you will have lived outside of Nairobi, some of you won't. But for those of you who haven't, you, you might not realize uh, because you've never lived anywhere else, the horrors of driving on the roads in Nairobi. If you've lived somewhere else, like where Abby, my wife, comes from, it's kind of this little countryside. There are like two cars per every 10 miles, and everyone drives very politely. They kind of wave at you as they're going. I mean, you come here, this is pretty terrifying. But you don't have to be here very long for it to become the way you drive too. In my case, about half an hour. For some of you, if you've only ever been here, you might think it's just really, you know, people striking up kind of casual conversation with you wherever you are is, is just normal. And it's not. You try doing that on the underground in London and you get reported as a dangerous criminal. You must be a mad person if you're talking to someone else. We're all being formed by something or by someone. Our only decision is what 
is forming us or who is forming us. And this passage that we read today, this is Paul um, writing to Timothy and telling him about a number of areas of formation that he needs to look out for that can be uh, where he's either going to be intentional or unintentional. So today we're going to talk about this difference between intentional or unintentional formation. And just to explain this, there's a guy who, who lives here, he comes to our church sometimes. He happens to be from exactly the same part of the UK that I'm from. Like his parents, his grandparents, sorry, grew up on the street where I was born. So like it's so close. And though we're really different people, really different personalities, we're different ages, when we get together, there's this kind of weird synergy. We, our voices change to be like one another. And we have shared stories and understandings that everyone else around us just doesn't get. Like where we're from, when we have cake... We eat cheese with it. And that's just the thing where we're from. And everyone else is like, that's a thing? That's disgusting. Why would you do that? Or if we have stew, we put a piece of bread under it just to make it a bit more bulky. And people look at us and go, yeah, no, that's not normal. That's weird. And many of you will have it with people you grew up with and without realizing you've been formed a certain way. And we're formed and we're shaped in a certain way that it shapes who we are, it shows who we are, and it comes out in different ways. Formation isn't a Christian thing, it's a human thing. To be human is, is to not be static, but dynamic. So I'm quickly going to run through what unintentional formation looks like, and then we're going to counter it with what formation the way of Jesus looks like. And this is a combination of a bunch of stuff. So Dallas Willard did so much work on this. John Watcombe has done some stuff, and we've added some bits that kind of feel like it shapes us in our moment. So I want to kind of deep dive into this idea. So firstly, this is about, um, oof, I don't know if you can see this. I'm going to explain this as it comes up. If you just wake up tomorrow, this is what happens. So firstly, becoming like our world. At the top of this, of this quadrant, we have the stories we believe. So the stories we believe. What do we believe about the moment we live in? We all have stories about what we believe that shape us, narratives that we live by that help us try and make sense of the world that we're in. We are created for story. You know when you're watching or reading something, you just go, oh, that's me. That's, yeah, that's, that's just so me. This is my story, and we identify through it. And we're shaped by the stories or the narratives of our time. This is what Paul calls the godless myths or old wives' tales. And these are rich stories embedded in our culture that affect how we see ourselves and what we believe to be true about ourselves. Ones in Nairobi and, and many other global cities, the kind of stories we believe are self-happiness is paramount. This is a story we believe about our time. Or in our culture particularly, the hustle is real. It's a story we believe about our time. You should be earning this amount. You should be driving this car. You should have this house. This will make you happy. And get, you know, there are other things as well. Like one of the, one of the narratives we hear uh, in our time is this, that this sex is just play for grown-ups. It has no effect and it doesn't matter. As long as it's consensual, it doesn't matter. And none of these are biblical, but they're embraced by our culture. So they begin to form us. We talked a couple of weeks ago about the myth of neutrality that grabs our age. We believe that to be a good Christian is to just not do bad things. And that's a kind of narrative. That's not true. That's not the biblical idea. It's just a narrative of our time. So firstly, stories we believe. Secondly, relationships on the right-hand side, relationships that affect us. These are accidental relationships we find ourselves in. We become like the people we hang out with. We think like them. We dress like them. We become like them. 
And this is what Paul calls the kind of this, these things taught by hypocritical liars. There are people around us that are pushing stuff onto us that are not really who it is. Thirdly is this, the habits that we have. The habits we live into, the power of habit. There's so much research and work done on the power of habit. And we're basically little more than the cumulative effect of our hourly, daily habits. What we do, we become. Or in other words, what we do does something to us. Our habits get into the core of your being, shape your loves and your longings and your direction. Our habits shape us. I'm fairly aware that coffee is not that good for me. Yet every morning, without fail, even if the kids are still screaming, I make coffee and I love it and it shapes me. I can't think of anyone in the world who thinks that smoking is a good thing. Yet many do it. And many really enjoy it. Very few people here think that digital addiction is a good thing. Yet how many of you have checked your phones while I've been preaching? I don't want to call anyone out, but I saw some people. No, I'm joking. <laughs> we are shaped by the things that we regularly do because we spend all day, every day, checking our phone. Even in a moment where we think this isn't a good idea, we're like, I'm just going to check it. Like, he's kind of just drifting a bit at the moment. Let me check on something in here. The habits we have. And then, and then unchecked ambition. What do we think our life leads to? What's it all about? Our own personal success story that we offer, defined by all the things we believe. And it's unchecked and it's unregulated. It goes wherever it wants. What is it that drags you out of bed in the morning? What do you give yourself to? What are you worshipping? And then all of this happens within the context of the spirit of the age. This is the world we inhabit. So whether you live here or not, we're all products of where we're from. But more than that, we're products of our time and our world, like the digital world, the intense nature of social media, a global phenomenon towards self and personal accumulation. The world around us shapes us. And these things conform to shape us over time and into the image of our world. And that's why we find ourselves subconsciously kind kind of being woke or or being moved by an issue, or finding something cool without even thinking about it. And all we have to do is wake up and these things take a hold of us. And this is unintentional formation. This is just happening to us every minute of every day, unless we think about it. So intentional formation on the other side is to set off the kind of cultural tide that we live in. The way of our city, the way of the world, is not designed to make you follow Jesus. You might hear worship music in the supermarket, but they're not there to make you a follower of Jesus. They're there to make you buy more stuff. The way of our city, the way of our culture is designed to not make us follow Jesus, so we have to fight the tide. The way of our city is anti-Jesus. So intentional formation, the way of Jesus looks really different. So if we go on to the next slide... So we replace these different things, and this is what this letter to Timothy uh, talks about. So we replace kind of the stories that we believe by God's story, what we believe about the moment we live in. Stories we believe replaced by God's story. In this passage, um, Paul is urging Timothy to be nourished on the truth of the faith and on the good teaching that he followed. And we replace the stories of our time by the stories of God. God's story is designed to move us from information to transformation. This book, this, the Bible is not a fact book. 
It's a story that we're invited into. And it undermines the stories of our time by replacing them with the stories of Jesus. It undermines the things, the, the, the kind of cultural stories we have of wealth and prosperity or, or freedom or this thing will make you feel better or even you don't need church or community to follow Jesus. These are the stories of our time and it's replaced by the stories of Jesus. It's why Genesis doesn't open up with facts. So often we want to read it like that, but rather it opens up with this is who God is. It's who he is and the things he does. This book is a story. And the reason we get into this book is because it's God's word. It's his story. And it counters the compelling narratives of our time. If we don't get into this book and the way of Jesus, whilst we might believe in God, the shape of him will be distorted by the world around us. You notice so many of the, of the Jesus uh, things he does, they're stories. They're not commands or moral lessons, but they're stories about how the world is really meant to work. The last shall be first. It's not command. It's a story. It's a vision of something different. And we're in need of replacing the tales of our time with the stories of God. And we get into the Bible. We do courses and, and, and podcasts and whatever it is, learning about Jesus. As we get into this book, it begins to replace the stories of our time. Last year, I decided that I would learn by heart the Sermon on the Mount. And I can't believe, like, it, took, it was really hard. But I can't believe the amount of times I'd see moments differently because God's word was just there. And as I looked at, as I looked at people and saw God's heart through the same amount of generosity and love and in different situations saying, actually, God's story is that we're not to worry. It gives a different lens. First shall be last, really? Do we live that? Do we believe that story? That there's no Greek, no Jew, no Gentile? Do we live that? Don't worry about tomorrow. Come follow me. So this is, where, um, this is where God's stories replace the stories of our time. Secondly, relationships, just casual relationships are replaced by intentionally being with God's people. Verse 6 says this, Point these things out to brothers and sisters. Being in places to have proper community happen. We need to intentionally walk the way of Jesus with God's people. We end up in lots of accidental communities, kind of your kids' school friends or, uh, and their parents, the people you live next to, some of your work colleagues. But more than this, and these can be good or bad, but we must, in some parts of our lives, have intentional community. Now, this isn't sort of setting up some godly, Christian, hippie commune, but rather choosing to do intentional community with people. This is why we talk about community groups so much. I was saying earlier, our community group this week, there weren't many of us there, but it was one of the deepest kind of conversations we had, and we talked about what would it look like to intentionally choose to walk the way of Jesus together, to regularly share a meal, to invite others into our lives. Here's the thing, you cannot follow Jesus on your own. It's kind of a blanket statement. We talked a, bit, a little bit about this last week, go and check it out, about radical community. But so much change and transformation happens in the context of community. I mean, just really briefly, the two things community does that you can't do on your own. You can't expose yourself on your own. And you can't encourage yourself on your own. And we're in desperate need of those two things at least. Nextly is this. The habits we have are replaced by God's rhythm. Verse 7 says, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself. Verse 15 says, be diligent. Give yourself wholly to these things. Set an example. 
This is how we are devoting ourselves to things. God's rhythms. We don't need to, in the words of Dallas, realize, try really hard. We need to train really hard. We've grown up with this idea that kind of trying is somehow anti-God. And it's not. It's really good. I don't know about you. I grew up in a church where our theology was what I call zap theology. Where the only way we could become like Jesus was if he zapped us with a kind of miracle. There was no sense of like, who are you growing to become like? How are you going to take time to do that? To grow around the rhythms of Jesus. Jesus is really clear around this stuff, around training. I, I love... I love music. I really enjoy music. And particularly, I enjoy classical piano. But I am useless at the piano. And if I was to sit down and play Chopin today, I would need a miracle beyond Lazarus proportions to do that. And God can do that, for sure. But at any other time I wanted to play that, I'd equally need a miracle like that to do it again. But if I sat down today and said, you know what, I'm just going to play scales for two hours, every day, for the next five years. Whilst playing Chopin's always going to be difficult, I may begin to bring that into the kind of remit of what I might be able to do. And it's the same way with Jesus. This is why the practices of Jesus are so important. It's why we talk about silence, solitude, community, reading our Bible, prayer, fasting, coming to church, being in an intentional community. These are the ways of Jesus. This is how he grows into who he's meant to be. Practicing the way of Jesus does something to us. It changes us on our kind of subconscious and rehabilitates our loves and our longings, our dreams and our desires. Someone once said this, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea as we begin to gather around Jesus, as we spend time with him, our hearts and our longings are shaped that we become more and more like him. Are we aware of God's love? Do we look at it and acknowledge it? Do we dwell on him? Do we look at him? Take time to be with him. In short, do the rhythms of your life push you towards Jesus or not? And then, and then this unchecked ambition is replaced by God's vision. What will you give yourselves to? I'm surprised by the amount of Christian organizations and churches whose vision is around kind of your best life. Or this is how to like, you can be all you want to be. When the Christian vision is not how do we make people be what they want to be, but how do they die to themselves? And how do we get beyond who we are to become who God wants us to be? Because in these passages I see Jesus says, I made you, I formed you, and I know you better than you know yourself. The words of this passage around, how do we set an example for believers, watching our lives closely, not neglecting our gift, is the way in which our vision is shaped to be godly. We are not meant to do everything precisely because we're meant to do something. A God-given vision with your name on it. And then all of this happens within the context of Um, God's spirit. So the spirit of the age is replaced by the spirit of God. At the start of this uh, chapter, it's wonderful. It says, the spirit clearly says, how many of us have that? 
on a daily basis where the Spirit is, is saying to you or is clearly with you? How is that true of our life? What is our depth of relationship with the Spirit that he might be clearly nudging us, prompting us, giving us peace as we walk into things? You know, we all abide in something. And we see in this context that Paul was writing into, all the things they were abiding in, poor teachings, poor cultural practice, forbidding of marriage and certain foods. But the counter to this is right at the start where Paul says, the Spirit clearly says, unless we're abiding in God by his Spirit, to be with God, to take time to invite God in, to wait on him, to dwell our abiding will shape us otherwise. The question for us is, are we dwelling enough to see what God's Spirit is clearly saying to us? And this is where the practicing of the presence of God becomes our kind of dominant reality, as opposed to our phone, or social media, or our job becoming our dominant reality. But instead it becomes God. We live in a time where often the things of our world shape our focus through which we view God. And it's such a distorted image. But actually what this this passage and elsewhere throughout Scripture is saying, no, 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 God is the lens through which you see everything else. That's why it matters. The danger is that we consciously or subconsciously choose to see God through the lens of our world and not see the world through the lens of God. What culture will we immerse ourselves in? What will bring illumination to our body? And what will we set our desires upon? Formation is is not the question. We're definitely going to be formed. The question is what will form us and what will shape us? Guys, we're going to um, close. And in reflection, one of the things I want us to do just for a few minutes is with the people around you, just to reflect on some of these, these things. We've got some questions that are going to come up. As I look at the different things, where do I feel the most intense pressure to be something that is not of Jesus? Like, what are those areas as we looked at them where we say, I feel the most intense pressure in this? Maybe it's some of the narratives that are around you. Maybe it's some of the people that are around you. Secondly, as you take time to reflect, what are the most obvious ways you let yourself be shaped rather than being intentional about how you're being shaped? And finally, that's what would you like to do this week is a step towards being more intentional. These are more than we can talk about in 10 minutes, but we're going to make a start. So guys, I would encourage you, get your phone out, take a, question, take a picture and reflect on these questions throughout the week. But just turn around, chat to the people next to you. If you're uncomfortable, just do this on your own. I'll go grab a coffee or whatever. But guys, enjoy reflecting on some of these questions for a few minutes. No.